If you didn't know, uh, my name is Andy. I'm the lead pastor here. But our church is a part of a ministry called Every Nation. And that means we're connected to churches all over the world, and we're passionate about planting churches. And we do so oftentimes around uh, campuses and universities, uh, not because we're only interested in reaching college students, but we have a heart to pass the, our, the faith of Christianity on to the next generation of people. And so we're passionate about families, and we're passionate about church planting, and we're passionate about uh, world missions. And so all the people in the video are, are, are people from our Every Nation churches either around the world or some of the more stateside. And we had a lot more uh, different languages that you didn't get to hear. Uh, some of them didn't get their videos in on time. Uh, so nevertheless, it's really neat to see that you and I are not the only ones celebrating the birth of Christ. And it's very easy to find ourselves experiencing faith almost in a cave, a silo, so to speak, where we don't, you don't realize what is happening around the world. And the, the world has their eyes upon Jesus' birth right now, just like you do. It is more than Hallmark movie channels. It's more than Home Alone 1 and 2. It's more than you going to Walmart or Black Friday or getting all the Christmas shopping done or Christmas cookies and all, all the things. Christmas is far more than that. I know you know that in your mind, but oftentimes our heart and our mind have about a 25-mile gap between the two when it comes to Christmas. We know what's true, but yet our actions practice something different. It wasn't too long ago that Amy and I had, we were associate pastors of a church. Uh, it was a high point church in Orlando, Florida. We were there for about six years and we had a life group with 20 somethings in our house. And it was our first life group. And this, our house, our little condo, little two bedroom condo was packed with people who looked just like us, but would not have known Jesus if he had sat down right next to them. I can't even get into all the details of <laughs> what their lives looked like. It was almost comical. But when we got to Christmas time in our life group, and we began just literally reading the scriptures together, it was amazing how many people did not actually know the account of Jesus' birth, the real details surrounding it. That's not to say that they didn't have a measure of faith in God or believe in his existence, but understand when we got to Mary being a virgin and the Holy Spirit and an angel appearing to Mary and saying, you're going to give birth to the Messiah, the Savior of the world. We read about Joseph wanting to, to have a divorce and separate because surely he didn't believe the account that Mary was giving him about an angel showing up and, and telling him that, he was carrying, that she was carrying the Savior of the world. What, what man would believe this? And so he made separate plans to not divorce or to divorce her, and then an angel appears to him. And as we're reading the account... Specifically the part about Mary being a virgin. Amy and I will never forget people on our couch. This is how unchurched folks were in Florida. Holy, insert a couple expletives. 
You're telling me that Mary had never had sex? That's exactly what I'm telling you. Holy! Right? I never even put two and two together. And I've been singing these Christmas carols my whole life. And it's just now making sense. This is crazy. This is the world that we live in. And sometimes, maybe if you have grown up in the Bible Belt, if you've grown up around Atlanta, you might take it for granted that everyone simply knows the story of Jesus, but they do not. They don't. We may not know the story of Christ's birth. And so for this series, we're literally, it's called the crazy family tree. We all know that family's crazy. And everyone said, amen, because family's crazy. I use, the, I use it loosely, jokingly. But if you look at the story of Christ's birth and you try to read it for the first time, pretend you've never heard it, this story is nuts. It's crazy. There are people trying to kill Jesus. There's people getting visited by angels. There's people being told you're going to have a baby, but you've never slept with your husband before. This is crazy. And what's interesting is that Mary and Joseph and Jesus, they're not the only ones experiencing a bit of craziness right now. Jesus' family tree has all kinds of crazy accounts happening. God uses crazy, and I'm so thankful that he does because I fit into that bracket. My family fits into that category. Nuts. A little bit crazy. We don't have to go very far. In fact, even before Mary is visited by an angel, some of their family members have also had a visitation from an angel. And this is where our story leads us today. In the precursor before Christ's birth, there are other people who are having crazy things uh, develop in their life. And their names are Zechariah and Elizabeth. Cousins of Mary. Mary is cousins with this woman named Elizabeth. And Zechariah is a priest. And this is where our story unfolds today. And I'm going to give you some details and if you've been in church your whole life, your eyes may try to roll to the back of their head because maybe you've heard some of this before. Try to hear it for the first time today. Let your heart be freshly awakened this morning to the beauty and the mystery and the wonder of Christmas. Can we do that this morning? Father, be with us as we open the scriptures and we read the accounts not only your son Jesus being born, but the miracles that you're doing in the lives of their family members. You are an amazing God. Show us this morning how amazing you are. Minister to us. Encourage us. I pray for fresh faith in this church today. Amen. We're in Luke chapter, uh, chapter 1 this morning. <clears throat> Luke chapter 1, verse 5. In the time of Herod, king of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah who belonged to the priestly division 
division of Abijah. His wife Elizabeth was also a descendant of Aaron. Both of them were righteous in the sight of God, observing all the Lord's commands and decrees blamelessly. But they were childless because Elizabeth was not able to conceive. And they were both very old. Now, Zechariah is a priest. And again, you wouldn't necessarily know all these details just from reading a, a cursory, uh, you know, reading of the scriptures here. But in Jerusalem at this time, there's about fifteen to 20,000 priests. And Zechariah is a part of this band of priests. And there's 24 divisions and two divisions serve in the temple a month. And so what's getting ready to happen is Zechariah is getting ready to be called to serve here in Luke chapter 1, verse 8. But before we even read that, what you should know about this group and band of priests, this 15 to 20,000-ish priests that exist in Jerusalem, is that they're very proud men. They love to impress other people with their piety. They love to strut. They love to be known. They love to experience the celebrity of what priesthood looks like. And many times they would lord that priestliness over the people they were trying to lead. They were bigoted, overly indulgent, self-seeking men. Now, is that all of them? No. But many, yes. Interested in external matters that would impress other people. But Zechariah was different. What we find when Mary goes to visit, Mary's pregnant with, with our, our Savior Jesus, she goes to experience encouragement and hear what's happening with Elizabeth. And when she travels to Elizabeth, it says that she traveled to the hill country outside of Jerusalem, which tells us a great deal already about Zechariah. Because there are homes and special places within the walls of Jerusalem for priests to live. Places of notoriety, places of celebrity. This would be like Hollywood, so to speak. And yet they, for, they, they, they forego, they foregone, they forwent. Is that a word? We're going to go forwent. They didn't take advantage of where they could have lived and said they lived outside of Jerusalem, away from all the noise, away from all the status of celebrity, and they lived their lives. And the scriptures tell us that they were devout followers of God. In other words, they did everything they could to follow Him and obey Him and have a genuine relationship with God. Zechariah's name means the Lord remembers. And Elizabeth's name means God's oath. And when you bring the two of them together, their marriage and relationship, it means something very significant that you're going to need to hang on to. The two of them together means the Lord remembers his oath. Put that in your back pocket as we continue this message this morning. Luke chapter 1, verse 8. Once when Zechariah's division was on duty and he was serving as priest before God, he was chosen by lot. According to the custom of the priesthood to go into the temple of the Lord and burn incense. 
And when the time for the burning of incense came, all the assembled worshipers were praying outside. Now, Zechariah is a part of a priesthood of about 15 to 20,000 priests. And they're all divided up into their divisions. And your division as a priest gets to serve two times a year. For a week at a time. And each division had roughly about a thousand guys in it. I know I'm asking you to do a, a, a lot of math. And it's early. But bear with me. If you're serving two times a year and you're showing up with your party of guys of about a thousand, the Bible says they cast lots to see who would serve. You do this two times a year and you're in a group of a thousand. That means that when Zechariah, when the dice were rolled, when the lot was cast and his name came up, what you should know about this moment is that this is a very special honor and a very special moment because many priests never got to serve in the temple in this official capacity because they only had a chance to do it twice a year and the dice were rolled and whoever it was cast upon, that's who got to do it. So for you, for, for Zechariah to have this moment, he may never have this moment again in his career as a priest. Now you would serve and do other priestly things, but you may never get to serve in the temple. Imagine you're a teacher and your entire career and life is devoted to teaching. But you would only get the chance to stand in front of your classroom maybe once, maybe twice in your entire career. That's what this is like. Imagine you're a coach. But you're only going to stand in front of your team and actually have an opportunity to coach them and speak to them and, and actually run a play. Once in your life, twice in your lifetime, you can understand the significance of this. And so his lot was chosen, and his, the, the, the task that was set before him was to burn incense. Now, they cast lots for everything. Literally, Zechariah would have had the ability to bring two of his friends, two priest friends, two buddies. You're my BFF, and you're my BFF. So come on. And literally one of them would have been the guy who scooped up ashes. And the other one would have been the one who brought the incense. You can see they're literally creating tasks to do. As if all these things were really difficult. The special, the, 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 the uniqueness of this moment. Don't, be, don't let it be lost upon you. It's incredibly significant. I love what happens next. In Luke chapter 1, 11 through 17, an angel is about to appear to Zechariah. But before we read the account, as great as this moment is for Zechariah, he would have been over 60 years old, probably pushing closer to, to 70. As great as this moment is and as celebratory as this moment is, there's something that has been plaguing he and his wife Elizabeth their entire life as a married couple. And that's their inability to conceive. 
And so for the, the lot to be cast and for Zechariah to be chosen, it did something in the eyes of everybody who was watching because at that time, if you were married and your wife was barren, you connected the dots and it was assumed that one of you was in some sort of secret sin. God couldn't possibly be using it. You, you, you may not have confessed it yet. Maybe you certainly haven't repented of it yet, but there's something going on in your life and God is punishing you for it. More often than not, it was cast upon the woman and her family, which is why the law permitted Zechariah to divorce his wife and actually find a new wife so that he could have a child and an heir with his name. Yet instead of doing that, for 60 plus years or however long they would have been married, Zechariah stays married. He stays in relationship with Elizabeth. The angel of the Lord appeared to him standing at the right side of the altar of incense. When Zechariah saw him, he was startled and gripped with fear. But the angel said to him, do not be afraid, Zechariah. Your prayer has been heard. Your wife, Elizabeth, will bear you a son and you are to call him John. He will be a joy and delight to you. And many will rejoice because of his birth. Don't be afraid, Zechariah. Your prayer has been heard. I don't know if there are more encouraging words other than you have a Savior who's saved you from your sin and His name is Jesus. I don't know that there are words better for the condition of your heart and soul than for an angel to appear to you and say, your prayers have been heard. Think about this for a second. We don't know what Zechariah's prayer looked like. I don't know how many times he prayed. I don't know if the angel was referring to a prayer that, that Zechariah and Elizabeth prayed 10 years ago. We don't have access to the timeline or the words or what it looked like or if it was shouting up to the heavens or if it was on their knees crying. We do not know. But what we do know is that they prayed and that their prayer of faith caught God's attention. Your prayer has been heard. As we sit here this morning, I want you, I want you to experience a fresh wind in your soul. The, the Bible says hope deferred makes the heart grow sick. Meaning there are times where we have prayed for things and prayed for things and prayed for things and we have not seen the breakthrough that we so desperately want. And it's very easy to simply stop praying. I've heard it say that the greatest faith-based tragedy is not unanswered prayer, it's unoffered prayer. 
And I know in my own life personally, Pastor Andy's life, that, that the greatest threat to my heart and soul isn't me missing a church service. It's not me somehow uh, having a couple days where I didn't read the Bible. It's me choosing to not have a relationship with God through prayer. It's me not bringing the concerns and affairs of my heart to God, my Father. What is it that the scriptures say? They say, cast your cares upon him, your anxieties upon him. This was the weight on Zechariah and Elizabeth's heart. And an angel shows up at this man's moment of need in the temple as he's lighting the incense in worship and he's startled. He's afraid. And the angel says, don't, don't be afraid. How great news for you, Zechariah. Your prayer has been heard. And you need to know that as difficult as it may be, as hard as it might appear, when you pray, God hears. When you pray, your God hears you. And it's easy to think that because you don't see God working, that God isn't moving. And that isn't true. Just because you don't see God working doesn't mean that God isn't moving. Amen? Your prayers are never wasted. I know in my own life, I... I have an addiction at times to getting distracted. I don't mean that somehow distraction just happens to me. Like, oops, I just got distracted again. No, there is a, there is a propensity in the heart of every man and every woman to give yourself to distraction because there is difficulty in going to God in prayer. There's difficulty in coming and praying the same thing again. There's difficulty in going to Him and, and, and opening your heart one more time. There's difficulty in knowing what to actually even say. Or can I even bring this to you because I know the state of my life before you. This, is, this, is, this isn't even right. I can't. Surely God won't hear my prayers. We used to joke, I've, I grew up in the church. And so when I was in college, this is terrible. We would joke if, you know, some rookie, you know, in the campus of ministry who didn't really know how to pray. Do you know how to pray? <laughs> Good night. <laughs> didn't know how to pray. <laughs> and they're stumbling over their words and you know, you'd look to the guy next to you and you'd say, that prayer didn't make it ceiling high. And, you know, and you're joking, right? And we are. We were joking. Obviously, God still hurt, but that's how we feel. 
We get trapped into this cycle that if we don't pray it the right way or we don't use the right words or, or our life isn't in the right state, we can't come before God. We can't pray to Him. We can't cultivate a life where you're literally just talking to Him and you're bringing the affairs of your heart and your soul to Him. Every single person in here has something that is weighing on their heart. There's not a person that doesn't. We had an outreach. I, I say an outreach. We, did a, we had uh, a day with Santa in downtown Kennesaw yesterday, and it was incredible. Thousands of people down there celebrating. It was a big parade, and we had a booth front and center. And at it, we had Elsa, and we had Spider-Man, which I'll just even throw out a, 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 an excellent job to Matt DeLuca and Catherine Nicholson, who were on their feet for like six hours plus straight giving all they've got for pictures with kids and families. And there were kids screaming because picture time wasn't good. I mean, it was, it was Disney World, okay? It was a blast. They did an incredible job. It was a blast for me. <laughs> but with all the people that you're rubbing and bumping shoulders with, people in line to get fried Oreos, getting sweet tea, French fries, waiting for tickets to the bouncy houses, the snow thing, all the things, all the things. There was a lot. One thing I've learned in ministry is to make zero presumptions about the people that you're around, except for one. If you want to safely presume something about someone, presume pain. Presume pain. Because every single person at some place and at some point has something that they're going through. Something with mom or something with dad, something with, with their marriage, something with a child or lack of. Something with a marriage or a lack of relationship. Or a marriage that was going great that's no longer. Or debt. The weight of wondering how I'm going to pay this off or what's the condition of my life really going to look like? What's my future? And there's pain and stress and there's anxiety. There's strain with brothers and sisters and there's strain with who's going to spend what time with the relatives over the holidays and are we going to be able to split it up properly and it turns into madness and it turns into offense and it turns into craziness and now over something ridiculous a family is fighting or tense. Presume one thing, presume pain. All different degrees of it, but everybody's going through something. It doesn't matter if you stand on a stage and preach, or whether you're sleeping in your bed right now on Sunday morning. Everybody's going through something. Presume pain. And... In the midst of that, can I remind you that the best recipe for pain in your heart, pain in your family, pain in your home, is that you would go to God in prayer. 
And that sounds so trivial, whether you're in high school or middle school. You are literally wanting to tune everything I have to say out. I know it because I sat in that seat and it's like, okay, I've heard this a thousand times. Pray. Pray. Okay. Pray. But I'm telling you right now, the greatest treasure you will ever discover is if you will learn to be the kind of person who before anything else, you go to God and you pray about it. You pray about it and you pray about it some more. You know what I like to do? I like to go to Google. Google has become a God to many of us, so don't think I'm joking. WebMD, what's, going, what's wrong with me? And you type, and, and of course you're going to die in five minutes once you read that. But then you're anxious, and then you're stressed, and then you're laying in bed, and you're like, oh my God, what, what now? What am I going to do? What now? What am I, you know, and, and eventually we talk about it. We talk about things with our friends and about our, fa- you know, our family, but we don't actually get our knees and knees and pray. I read this week, uh, finished a book, and I was so convicted at the end of it because the pastor that wrote it, he shared the same conviction that I share in confession time. He said, my greatest fear is that I've spent more hours on a stage preaching than I've spent hours praying and communing with God. I thought, man, that that isn't me. I love to preach. Give me a stage. I want to talk about God till I'm blue in the face. But pray? (sighs) Yes. You ask me, do you like to pray? Yes, I do. There's that half-baked answer there. Because it requires a lot more soulful effort to quiet my life, to put my phone away, to not do because my heart is prone to distraction. Give me anything that will distract me. Give me a video game on my phone, a message on Facebook or Instagram. Give me a a text message that will, you know, somehow catch my attention so that I can do something or a sale on iTunes because I can't miss movies that are on sale from Tuesday to Tuesday on iTunes. What if it never goes on sale again? Give me the distractions rather than spending time in God's presence and feeling his conviction, feeling his presence, and bringing what's on my heart to him. Isaiah 8, 17 says that I will wait for the Lord. The prophet Isaiah writes this in chapter 8. He says, I'll wait for the Lord who is hiding his face from the descendants of Jacob. I will put my trust in him. This word wait is the word kava in Hebrew. And it's a great picture for you and I because it represents a, a rope, a cord. And if you've ever seen how a rope is made, it's strands that are woven together. And to where the word wait is, a, is an action word. It's a verb to kava for God. It's this picture of a rope that's been tied together and is being pulled taut. 
If you've ever had a bungee cord, you know, and you're, you're pulling it and you're, you know, you're praying the other person doesn't let go so you don't get whipped in the face. But that tension, the tautness of the rope, that's what it looks like to wait for the Lord. There is a tension in waiting. And who is it that you're intertwined with as you wait? It's you intertwined with God in this picture of a rope that's being pulled taut. And this is Zechariah's life. This is Elizabeth's life as they wait for God faithfully to meet them in their great need. It's not easy to do that. Who wants to live in the tension of whether God's going to show up the way you want him to? But this is what we're called to do, to wait for God. He may not show up the way you want him to or the timeline that you want him to. But nevertheless, what we get to do, your responsibility is to pray and to wait. We call it patient expectation. I don't particularly like that. And it is the call upon all of us as faithful followers of Jesus. Your greatest place of waiting is often your greatest place of growing. I'll say that one more time. Your greatest place of waiting is oftentimes your greatest place of growing. Zechariah asked the angel in verse 18, how can I be sure that this is going to happen? Don't you love this? I'm an old man. My wife is well along in years. Angel said to him, I'm Gabriel. Don't you love that? Uh, bro, uh, my th I have three words to say to you. I am Gabriel. I can't imagine what it looks like to have an angel show up in all of the, the glory of God, but he was already afraid. I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God. Yeah. And I've been sent to speak to you and to tell you this good news. And now you will be silent and not be able to speak until the day this happens. This is a man right here. I, I mean, just the angel just shuts him down. You're going to be quiet, and you're going to be quiet starting now. You're arrogant, and you. <laughs> I'm Gabriel. I am Gabriel, and last time I checked, I stand in God's presence, and you're going to question me? Okay? And now, for the price of your correction, you will not be able to speak. You got to love it. Why? Because you didn't believe my words, which will come true at their appointed time. What's interesting is that Mary asks almost the exact same question that Zechariah does. When an angel appears to Mary, how can I be sure of this? She's just encouraged. But when Zechariah asks it, he's corrected. And it reveals the condition of Zechariah's heart in that he's prayed and he's gone through the motions. But his heart has, has somehow grown stale. And I relate to Zechariah. I get it. I get what it's like to pray and to pray and to be praying for something, and then your prayer just becomes words that are coming out of your mouth, but you don't really expect God to do anything anymore. 
You just know what's right and you know you should be praying this and you know you should be believing this. So the motions look right and to anybody who were to, was to look at you or to hear you or to see you, they would clap their hands and be like, man, great job. He's so faithful. He's so good. He's got it all together. But inside your heart is, is growing cold and the embers of your heart are going out. And God literally shows up and instead of responding with faith, you literally say, I know this is even going to happen because it's too hard to believe again. You've prayed and you've prayed and you've prayed. And the story, the account of Zechariah and Elizabeth, it reminds us, number one, to continue praying. That you can have encouragement that when you pray, God hears you. But to also fight to keep your heart fresh and expectant before God. Zechariah and Elizabeth are getting ready to have a baby boy and they're going to name him John. And he is John the Baptist, the one who prepares the way for the Lord. A miraculous account of Elizabeth getting pregnant. Stories of patient expectation litter the Bible. Abraham and Sarah, David, Elijah, Joseph, Ruth, Esther, Job, Paul. Literally everyone who writes a letter in the New Testament. Waiting for God to do something. Asking God to do something. Encouraging the saints to be faithful and to pray. Be faithful and pray. Be faithful and pray. Even in my own life, I, I sat this morning, I was waiting, I've been, I literally was asking, God, I need, a, I need more stories. Because they weren't quickly coming to mind. Which was, again, convicting of, of prayerful miracles. I thought, oh man, Lord, help me. <laughs> Teach me to pray. But... I have four kids, and my third child, his name is Morgan. And one of the things that many of you may not know about Morgan is that when he was born, he had uh, severe, severe eczema. I don't mean like a little patch on the elbow. I mean head to toe. And it was medically, no one knew what to do. And we would get stopped and asked, no lie, what happened in the fire that Morgan was caught in because his skin, he looked like he'd been a victim of a fire. And he wasn't four, maybe four years old, three and a half years old before he was ever even able to wear shorts and a t-shirt because his skin was in such a difficult position. And so every night he would have to take a bath and as soon as he got out of the bath, he would get greased down like a pig with petroleum jelly from top to bottom. And then he would have what looked like a scuba suit that was soaked in water and put on his body. He would then be wrapped in gauze like a mummy and then another pair of soaking wet pajamas put over his suit. Many times he would wear that suit all day because something was just not right with his skin and we would change the sheets almost every day 
night for our little guy because there was so much blood from when he would scratch through the night and through his clothes and through his suit. And it was, it, his quality of life was just so little at this stage. And I don't say this to you for pity. I'm saying this to you. Everyone's, again, everyone has different degrees of pain. This was a moment of pain for Amy and I as his parents. And we had been praying. And oh, had we been praying. For years we'd been praying for God, for some kind of breakthrough. And we had spent thousands of dollars trying to see him get fixed. We'd done the diets. We'd gone to special doctors. We'd gone to this and that. And then literally we went to like the weird doctors who, you know, are like measuring the, you know, the Earth's gravitational pull, you know, and, and are, are, you know, telling you to, I mean, the, the craziest things. Do this, do that. Nothing. So we began to pray. We prayed some more. And then it just became emotion for me. Be, to be very transparent. And we got a little message on Facebook. We were part of a group on Facebook Messenger for people who have kids with severe eczema. And they said, hey, if you talk to this doctor overseas, he's South African, his name's Dr. Aaron. I will know we haven't. Sorry, I, did, I ruled that one out. I said, you, you should. It it." probably be a miracle for you to even get a consultation with him, but it's worth a shot. So we set it up, and at the same time, our we had a mission team coming through town, and we were doing an outreach at Kennesaw State with probably 50 to 60 college students, all here for a mission trip effort. And lo and behold, one of the people asked, hey, is there anything that we can be praying for with all these people with such faith. They're all, they're all in unity together. Can we pray? Who needs healing? Who needs to be prayed for? Who needs to have hands laid on the sick? And my son wasn't even there. But I just stood. I said, I, would you pray for my son? I, I, I don't know what else to do, but I'm going to stand in proxy for him. Would you pray for him? And people began to pray, and all of a sudden, this Overnight, which often takes people years of getting a consultation with a doctor, we got it out of nowhere. I was planning to book a plane ticket to go overseas, literally to take my child to meet with him. That's how desperate we were. And they do a Skype consultation, and he says, it's going to be another miracle for this to work, but you're going to need your doctor to fulfill the prescription that I'm writing and then you're going to have to take it to a pharmacy and they're going to have to specifically make it just for your kid. You can't go out with it. You can't buy it anywhere. They're going to have to make it. I'm like, this is, this is, God, this is impossible. We serve a God that does the impossible. And everyone began to pray. And the doctor gives us a prescription and we take it to our doctor and we're hanging on a prayer and a chance and a moment. And our doctor says, we have explored everything I know to do. This is crazy. This is a huge risk for me. But I'm going to write this prescription for you. 
This all happened in the course of like a week, and this is the kind of thing that oftentimes takes a family a year to two years to even get an opportunity for. Take the prescription. They go to the pharmacy. They make it. This special magical tube of cream. We put it on our child. And he literally walks into our bedroom the next morning and wakes us up and he says, Mom, Dad, look at my skin. It's like four years old at the time. My own child wakes me up to say, look at what has happened to me. And he got to put on a pair of shorts and a t-shirt. And it was literally a miracle for us. It was literally a miracle. You can put your hands together. That's fine. And you may be sitting here and you're like, oh, God, just, you know, was that really God or did it all just work out? Well, it did just all work out. But every good thing comes from our Heavenly Father who makes good things happen for His people. And whether or not it looks like hands being laid and a leper being cleansed with the snap of a fingers or whether God orchestrates things and Zechariah goes home and spends some time with his wife and all of a sudden she's pregnant. Now you can explain this away or we can actually believe that, that we serve a God who hears our prayers and despite the, the tendency for our heart to want to go out and the, and the coals to kind of blow cold, to remind ourselves that we serve a God who is the God of the impossible, that He is a God who moves and that He is a God who cares and that we are to cast our anxieties upon Him because He loves His people. And if you've prayed a prayer, and you've given up praying. I want to remind you today to not quit praying, but to bring it back to Him again. That thing that you think is just dead. That thing that has no hope. That situation that God can't possibly move in. I have great news for you today. We serve a God who hears you. And why not extend your faith one more time? And the next day, and the next day, and the next day. Who knows what God might do? Amen. Stand to your feet this morning.